Before we continue in First Thessalonians, to the Lord and dear God, I pray that you would help me today, Lord, to present the word, Lord, as you have, have preserved it for us, and Lord, rightly divide it. Lord, I pray for this congregation today, that we would hear your word and we would respond to it. Pray, Lord, that you would help us to apply what we learned today. Lord, I pray that you will be with us as we continue to, Father, seek you and seek your approval. Lord, we, we pray that we, Lord, would present ourselves to you fully as we listen to your word and preach it today. So just a little bit of a recap from last week. We uh, studied the greeting that Paul gives to the church at Thessalonica. We talked about where Thessalonica is. Um, Thessalonica is a city in Greece still, Thessaloniki. And where did we say that Paul was writing this letter from? Corinth. So Paul, which has really, really hit me as I've studied through this, Paul is busy doing what he's called to do by God. Even as he's traveling with other brothers and encountering different churches and staying a while with them and, and initially planting a church um, with the Lord's leading, he's also writing to other churches that he's visited or plans to visit. So here are some of the churches that Paul writes to uh, as he goes through his journeys. And this chart I really liked. Um, it had the name of the epistle and then the location he was when he wrote it. Don't take for gospel the dates on this because those can be a little disputed, okay? But the location of the authorship is really kind of cool. So you look at this, we could start to make kind of a spider diagram of where he was when he wrote the book to the geographical location of the church that he was just at. So there would be lines between these places, right? The Lord is using Paul to create this network of churches around the Mediterranean for his word. And I love what how the Lord is laying out the places for him to visit. And yes, I did say the Lord is laying out the places for him to visit. We looked last week at how the Holy Spirit directly, directly led Paul by vision to, Ma to Macedonia um, and continues to do so. So I found out something this week. Um, that I didn't know in 40 years of being a Christian, I did not know 
the following thing. Do you know why Paul's letters are ordered in the way that they are in the New Testament? Because as we were talking about last week, Thessalonians is actually the first, maybe even the first book written in the New Testament. So why would Thessalonians be last in the order? It all comes down to the length. That's it. So the way that the church epistles are ordered in the New Testament is that Romans is the longest and it's first. First and second Thessalonians are the shortest and they're the last. So the church epistles are ordered by length as well as the personal epistles. So when, uh, when we talk about those letters to Timothy and Titus and Philemon, all of those personal epistles are also ordered in that way. So two different groups by length only. Mystery solved, right? Did you guys know that? That was kind of a revelation to me. I didn't know that before. So um, the pages that I took here are out of an old study Bible. I just wanted to, to show you just by page count um, how this was true. Because immediately after I read it in a commentary, I'm like, really? That doesn't <laughs> But that's that's true. That's true. It's it's by length. So although chronologically, when this was written and and the events that are happening in it um, is is first um, in Thessalonians, it is listed last because it's shortest. First Thessalonians is the next, the shortest of the church epistles. Anyway, if you're ever on Jeopardy. And you have to answer that question. I prepared you for that moment, okay? So I expect some kickback from dollars one. <laughs> so anyway, um, Jesse, uh, thank you so much for this morning's lesson, um, starting on Reformed theology, because it's, I love how it's like, uh, Murdoch used to say on the A-team, I love it when a plan comes together. The Lord had a plan for today's service that I did not coordinate with Jesse, that he would talk about um, the apostles' authority and that he would talk about biblical authority. And that folds right in to this study today. So, a lot of warm up there, Mark, but let's 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 get to it, right? Um, so first Thessalonians 2, 1 through 8. Please do turn with me if you have your Bibles, and we'll read these first four verses again. For you yourselves know, brothers and sisters, that our reception among you was not in vain, but after we had already suffered and been treated abusively in Philippi, as you know. We had the boldness in our God to speak to you the gospel of God amid such opposition. For our exhortation does not come from error or impurity or by way of deceit. But just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak, not intending to please people 
but to please God who examines our hearts. So first of all, when we read about the treatment that Paul and Silas received in Philippi, what was the treatment that they received in Philippi? Well, Acts, specifically Acts chapter 16 through 17, give a good cross-reference to us as we read 1 Thessalonians, because some of the things that are happening and that Paul is talking about are written for us in Acts, so the Apostles' history. So if you turn with me to Acts, before the longest epistle, Romans. See? That, that's blown my mind this week. I'm sure that you can tell, like, that actually, like... Fun facts, anyway. Acts 16, 16 through 24, we're reading about what happened to Paul and Silas in Philippi. It happened that as we were going to the place of prayer, a slave woman who had a spirit of divination met us, who was bringing great profit to her masters by fortune telling. She followed Paul and us and cried out repeatedly, saying, These men are bondservants of the Most High God, who were proclaiming to you a way of salvation. Now she continued doing this for many days, but Paul was greatly annoyed, and he turned and said to the Spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out at that very moment. But when her masters saw that her hope of profit was suddenly gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the authorities. And when they had brought them into the chief magistrates, they said, these men, Jews as they are, are causing our city trouble. And they are proclaiming customs that are not lawful for us to accept or practice since we are Romans. The crowd joined in an attack against them, and the chief magistrates tore their robes off them and proceeded to order them to be beaten with rods. When they had struck them with many blows, they threw them into prison, commanding the jailer to guard them securely. And he, having received such a command, threw them into the inner prison and fastened their feet into the stocks. It was a bad day at the office, wasn't it? Really tough day. Um, so what happened? There's so much embedded into this account in Acts that Luke has written for us about Paul and Silas um, and <laughs> spell check Felipe. Um, that's supposed to say, <laughs> Philippi, <laughs> forgive me. Um, what's the treatment that Paul and Silas re Silas received in Philippi? Well, they meet this possessed woman. She is practicing divination for what cause? She's making money for her master, okay? So, so many layers of messed upness here. She's a slave, obviously. Um, there's divination, 
and it's for dishonest gang money. After Paul, using his authority as an apostle, exercises her, her, her masters get angry. After Paul commands the demon in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her, her masters get angry. Why? You've taken our meal ticket. So they incite a mob. How dare you take a demon out of a woman? Wow. Um, and they incite a mob. And then Paul and Silas are beaten. Beaten with rods. And imprisoned and shackled. So there are a lot of things that we have to endure as Christians and that some of our brothers and sisters around the world are currently enduring. But I would be very surprised if any one of us has had to be stripped and beaten with rods because we wanted to share the gospel and to visit a, a city in the name of creating uh, a mission. And that's exactly what happened to Paul and Silas. So when he refers to this treatment that he received in Philippi, and he's writing the Thessalonian church about what happened in Philippi, he's showing um, that's, that's the way that they were treated. Immediately after Philippi, Paul goes to where? Thessalonica, right? And he comes to that church, spends three Sabbaths with them, teaching them about the scriptures. So as Acts continues, what happens here is that in Acts 17, 1 through 5, now when they had traveled through um, Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a synagogue of the Jews. And according to Paul's custom, he visited them and for three Sabbaths reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and giving evidence that the Christ had to suffer and rise from the dead and saying, this Jesus who I am proclaiming to you is the Christ. And some of them were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, along with a large number of the God-fearing Greeks and a significant number of the leading women. But the Jews, becoming jealous and taking along some wicked men from the marketplace, formed a mob and set the city in an uproar, and they attacked the house of Jason and were seeking to bring them out to the people. So Paul's just making friends everywhere he goes. <laughs> when he initially visits the city, he goes to the synagogue a lot of times. He teaches the Jews as he's, he is a Jew and relates to them God's word and the gospel that is now being proclaimed to them. In Philippi, he and Silas were taken, beaten with rods, put in prison. In Thessalonica, after three peaceful Sundays, a mob was incited to drive them out of the city, and immediately they had to go in the middle of the night 
and they went to Berea next. So Paul, Paul comes with this. Paul comes with this letter to the Thessalonians, and he has experienced hardship firsthand, and he has sought to please God rather than man. Because if, if he were seeking to please man, what would he have done? Immediately silenced himself, not continued to proclaim the gospel. He would have just sat down and shut up. But instead, Paul cares more about what God has him to do than what the men and women of the cities that he visits. 17.6-9 continues, when they did not find them, they began dragging Jason and some brothers before the city authorities, shouting, these men who have upset the world have come here also, and Jason has welcomed them, and they all act contrary to what? The decrees of Caesar, saying that there is another king, Jesus. They stirred up the crowd and the city authorities who heard these things, and when they received a pledge from Jason and the others, they released them. So, all of this to give you background about Paul's abusive treatment in the city of Philippi as called out by verse two. And then he says that our reception among you was not in vain. Why? Because the Lord was planting churches in those two cities as Paul was led and with along with Silas, Luke, and his um and Timothy throughout this region. <clears throat> For our exhortation does not come from error or impurity or by way of deceit, but just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak not intending to please people, but to please God who examines our hearts. So verse three for our exhortation does not come from error or impurity or by way of deceit. Why was the woman in Philippi uh, that had the spirit of divination? Why was she being used to tell the future? To make a profit. That's what it was all about. Jesse was talking about church history this morning and talking about one of the most incendiary things that the Catholic Church did was to offer indulgences. They needed to finance that big cathedral that we see on the news and in Rome. They needed to, to finance all of that. And so the way that they did it is come up with, you can give me a payment and you can spring grandma out of pure out of purgatory. Right? So you could give me an indulgent payment, and I, the priest, uh, or I, the bishop, will pray to God and get your loved one out of purgatory early. That's what the Catholic Church was offering. So <clears throat> There are many 
There are many that have come from uh, way of deceit. There are many that come in error. When, if you read through the men's Bible study this week, there are common errors that we face regarding um, those that would say that they are saved. Either they automatically become really enamored with their own works and trying to win their salvation, or they go in the complete opposite direction and become the God's word doesn't really mean anything because I'm saved and I can do anything I want to and I'll be forgiven. So there's, there's two ditches there. So Paul is not coming from error or impurity or deceit. He's not seeking gain from this message, obviously, right? <clears throat> Paul goes somewhere and he's likely going to be thrown into prison. And ultimately, what happens to Paul yeah. at the end? Paul is executed, ultimately. Spoiler alert. Okay? So Paul is someone soundly saved by the Lord to bring forth this message that he is literally willing to die for and get beaten and bitten by snakes and shipwrecked and whatever is whatever it is that's going to happen to Paul. He doesn't care because his mission is from God. And he's not he's not swayed by what other men and other people think that he should be doing. He has been given this mission from God. So what error is associated with people pleasing? We could name many, right? And also notice that God is the one who examines our hearts. If we go to 2 Corinthians and we look at another epistle of Paul's in chapter 11, 2, 2 through 4. For I am jealous for you with a godly jealousy, for I betrothed you to one husband to present you as a pure virgin to Christ. But I am afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by its trickery, your minds will be led astray from sincere and pure devotion to Christ. For if one comes and preaches another Jesus, whom we have not preached, or you receive a different spirit, which you have not received, or a different gospel, which you have not accepted, this you tolerate very well. Corinthians, you believe practically anything, Paul says. Anybody that has a solid tagline and jingle, you're believing what they have to say. And that's not, speaking as Paul, that's not what I led you to be. I betrothed you to one husband, Paul is saying. When we when Danny preached through Revelation, we start to see all of the 
symbols of the church being the bride and the father being the husband. And Paul says that I betrothed you to that one husband to present you as a pure virgin to Christ. But you, you're impure. You're listening to all kinds of messages. You're listening to anybody that has some snake oil and <laughs> wants to wants to give you a good message. And you tolerate this very well. And so Paul is railing against this tendency for us to just believe those things that sound good. One of the pastoral epistles to Timothy, remember in, in our context in Thessalonians, Timothy is now traveling with Paul. So this is this is his bro. This is his little bro. He he takes him everywhere. They are very close brothers. He he thinks of Timothy as his son in the Lord. Second Timothy four, four, one through four, if you turn with me there. What does he say to Timothy? I solemnly exhort you in the presence of God and Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season, correct, rebuke, and exhort with great patience and instruction. For the time will come when they will not tolerate sound doctrine, but wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance with their own desires, and they will turn their ears away from the truth and aside to myths. But as for you, use self-restraint in all things, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. Timothy, you traveled along with me all this difficult road. Now I'm writing to you to encourage you. Remember all the treatment that we received throughout all of those places that we visited. And what's the main purpose, Timothy? Preach the word. Preach the word. Don't, don't care about what kind of awesome, you know, food that you get to uh, enjoy. Don't care about what people want to hear. Um, don't care if they don't like doctrine. They don't like doctrine, then why are they there? You don't need to, to tickle their ears. In fact, you need to challenge them and exhort them to live better lives as towards Christ. Not out of any sense of self-righteousness, but because of their devotion to a Christ who is living and has resurrected. And this is this is the message that we're proclaiming, Timothy. That people should not be turning aside to myths. Even in 1 Samuel 16, 7, there's a compounding here. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not look at his appearance or at the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For God does not see as man sees, since man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. 
the Lord examines the heart. The heart. We're so focused on what we can see and what we can experience. Do you guys know how many conversations I've had in my lifetime about customer experience? And some of that bleeds into the modern church. What is the experience that you're going to have today? Matthew, we, we haven't installed your dry ice machine <laughs> next to your pedal, okay? And nor, nor the fireworks to randomly, you know, do stuff. Um, we're, we're not about people pleasing. Obviously, we need to we need to have a heated room. okay, that's helpful. Uh, we need to probably have four walls. that's that's helpful too. But we're not in the business of people pleasing and catering to every small preference that someone may have. because why? Because we're focused on what God God's word says. Jesse was talking about how we have to examine what scripture says, put it together and synthesize it, and then apply it this morning. Uh, from a biblical hermeneutic standpoint, that's what we should be doing. So you guys help me. You, you, you guys help me to do that. Let's do that as a congregation. Let's mine the scripture for what it has to say. Let's look at how it fits into the bigger narrative and let's let's apply it to where we are today. Let's understand what God's word is actively telling us to do. God's word is living and active because the same God that said, let there be light and created a universe has these words inspired and written down for us mm -hmm. that we need to listen to. Mm -hmm. There have always been those who would preach or lead people out of impure motives. Paul and Christ and others warned against such people. In this, this is present today as churches turn towards self-focus, running the church like a business, mm -hmm. and not, not just tolerating immorality but affirming it I loved what ff bruce um said he has a really great commentary that i've been using for first and second thessalonians if you have the opportunity to check out ff bruce really really great guy um he said the character and the result of the preaching cannot be separated so when i titled this message an opposite um, apostolic defense, Paul is speaking in defense of himself, of Silas, and his party in their purity of motives, in their love for the people, um, and his character. Because if the message is going to be attacked, it's going to be on the character. What did they attack him on in Philippi and uh, in Thessalonica? In Thessalonica, specifically, they said, these men are turning the world upside down. They're inciting everybody to a riot. And here, that was the farthest it could be from the case. Let's continue. <clears throat> For we never came with flattering speech, as you know, 
nor with a pretext for greed. God is our witness. Nor did we seek honor from people, either from you or from others, though we could have asserted our authority as apostles of Christ. But we proved to be gentle among you, as a nursing mother tenderly cares for her own children. In the same way, we had a fond affection for you and were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives, because you had become very dear to us. Is Paul somebody who comes through with a big stick and just knocks people over the head? Doesn't sound like it, does it? In his greeting, he talks about his affection for the brothers and sisters of Christ. He even compares their treatment as a nursing mother tenderly cares for her own children. Um, and, and he continues in his defense in verse five, for we never came with flattering speech. So Paul was not uh, a slicked down salesman preaching the gospel. I can just imagine him as someone who gets things done, right? He, he's the guy, he's the guy that you want on your team at work or leading you preferably at work, right? He, he's someone who gets down to business, someone that knows what his mission is, and, and someone that's not going to mess around, he doesn't care about flattering speech and honorifics. Doesn't care about it. He cares about um, getting down to business. Um, and he says God is our witness. For Paul to call upon God as a witness shows you his seriousness. You might look at that as hyperbole, but he is saying it literally. God is our witness to what we have done in the service of him. Um, nor do we seek honor from people, either from you or from others, though we could have asserted our authority as apostles of Christ. What authority and where does it come from do the apostles of Christ have? The Lord handpicked those apostles. The Lord gave them that authority. When Paul saw the woman in Philippi and said, come out of you, what authority did he do it by? His apostolic authority comes from Christ himself, who met him and humbled him on the way to Damascus. Romans 16, 17 through 20 says, Now I urge you, brothers and sisters, keep your eye on those who cause dissensions and hindrances contrary to the teaching which you learn and turn away from them. For such people are slaves, not of our Lord Christ, but of their own appetites. And by their smooth and flattering speech, they deceive the hearts of the unsuspecting. For the report of your obedience has reached everyone. Therefore, I am rejoicing over you. But I want you to be wise in what is good and innocent in what is evil. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet.
So if you are familiar with J.I. Packer, I know that Jesse uh, quoted some of his uh, commentary today, too. J.I. Packer's worth looking into, okay? Um, first of all, I want want everybody to know that when, and, and I would encourage you to do the same thing, when I sit down to prepare for a Sunday school lesson or a sermon, the first thing I want to do is I want to do things inductively, scripture on scripture, okay? So cross-references, looking the same words up, looking things up like, hey, here's this Acts passage that matches this Thessalonian letter that we're reading. So inductive first. Secondarily, I look at people that have been known to be solid commenters that want to interpret scripture correctly, okay? J.I. Packer is one such that I would trust to do so. Um. J.I. Packer said, although the Gospels call the, the same people disciples and apostles, the terms are not synonyms. Disciple means pupil, learner. Apostle means emissary, representative. In the sense of one who is sent with the full authority of the sender. I love that. So think about an apostle being sent with the full authority of the sender. The 12 apostles of the Lamb, as distinct from the apostles of the churches and from the rest of Jesus' disciples, were chosen and sent by Jesus, just as Jesus himself, the apostle whom we confess, was chosen and sent by the Father. Just as rejecting Jesus is rejecting the Father, so rejecting the apostles is rejecting Jesus. Amen. Now, there are people in modern day that call themselves apostles. They are not. Okay? They do not meet the qualification that biblically, these would be people that were picked by Jesus himself um, to have this specific office for a specific time. Paul was one such as he met, he encountered the Christ and we can read about that. We can read about his encounter. Um, so Packer lays that out for us that this apostolic authority comes because of being handpicked and given that authority by Christ. The apostles had that authority to do exactly what their calling was. Establish churches, spread the gospel, offer a defense of their faith, and proclaim the risen Christ in their time. That's the way, that's the way that the gospel spreads like a fire around the Mediterranean and still is spreading today, right? Because the Holy Spirit used these men to initially share uh, the gospel and his resurrection. All right, I'll just end this by looking at where we're going next, okay? So 1 Thessalonians 2, 9 through 12. For you recall, brothers and sisters, 
our labor and hardship. It was by working night and day so as not to be a burden to any of you that we proclaim to you the gospel of God. You are witnesses, and so it so is God of how devoutly and rightly and blamelessly we behave towards you believers, just as you know how we were exhorting and encouraging and imploring each one of you as a father would his own children, so that you would walk in a manner worthy of the God who calls you to his into his own kingdom and glory. Very, very clear in purpose. And I give that as a cross-reference to show you that he continues in this nurturing. But we will go there and examine those verses next week. Um, so um, when I, I wanted you to notice this deep affection and not just that this was lip service. He didn't just say, love you. You know, mean it. I'm going to grab a couple of shrimp like the Grinch and blow out of there, right? Um, he didn't do that. Paul offered his whole self to people and put himself at the disposal without reservation to people. Wow, if we lived like that. How amazing. I know that I, I've, I've gotten to have the experience of a man in Pastor Chris that would meet with me and have espresso with me at 6.30 a.m. on a Friday morning. He would take his time out of his morning and all of his other pastoral duties to meet with me specifically to encourage me, to hold me accountable. That's the type of things that we're called to do here um, as we have affection towards the people of Christ. Paul laid down his whole life, everything that he grew up with, everything that he had been taught um, to follow after Christ and his calling. And that's, that's the way that he lays his life down here. In John 3, 14, 18, this agrees with Paul's, what Paul says. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers and sisters. Do you love your brothers and sisters in Christ? Because that is evidence of your salvation. If you do not love the church of Jesus Christ, please question why that is the case. We should have a love for our brothers and sisters. The one who does not love remains in death. Everyone who hates his brother or sister is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life remaining in him. We know love by this, that he laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers and sisters. But whoever has worldly goods and sees his brother or sister in need, and closes his heart against him, how does the love of God remain in him? Little children, let's not love with word or with tongue, but in deed and truth. Sounds a whole lot like what we read in James too, right? That uh, it, it's not just a hearing, but a doing. Remember? 
All right. We're to lay down our lives for the brothers and sisters. So I'll conclude with just three pretty significant points from this, uh, from this study. Paul risked imprisonment and death to share the gospel. He literally lays down his whole life for Jesus. Paul's purpose is to please God and not please men. What does that, what does that call us to do? To please God and to love others. Paul has a love for the brothers and sisters of Christ, one of the markers of someone who has been saved by his grace. All three of these things go together, right? So look at the character of Paul, someone who really, like he, he gives his life away. He gives his life away primarily to the Lord. But that's in sharing himself with other people as well. How can I encourage them? How can I share scripture with them? How can I share the resurrection of Christ with them and the good news that this Lord that said that he was going to raise again? He has. He has. He, he's living and active. He appeared to me and changed me from a murderer of the people in the church to someone who is now one of the chief writers of epistles to churches and visitor visiting them and establishing new, establishing new churches that's how christ has changed paul and that's 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 how he is communicating uh that change with other people i hope that you're challenged by those things um showing our, our brother brothers and sisters the love of Christ that we have, encouraging them. Text somebody, call somebody, write somebody. I just got encouraged by a bunch of great kids who brought me birthday cards. What a sweet encouragement to me. Um, it doesn't take much, y'all. We can encourage each other, invite each other over, Encourage people by scripture, sharing things that you've learned. Get excited about it, right? I hope I hope this has been a challenge to you, and I hope that I, I hope that this is something that you can take home with you today. <clears throat> so let's pray, dear Lord. We thank you for your word. We thank you for Father the things that you've led us through. Father, we thank you for using Paul all those years ago, Lord, as an example, a father that we can follow. Father, help us to be active in doing your will for our lives. Father, I pray that you would give us joy in sharing our lives with our brothers and sisters in Christ and Father, I pray that as a church, Lord, that we would grow together in you and, Lord, call each other, Father, to, to be uh, the men and women, Lord, that you have called us to be. Father, I pray with you as we go into this time of observance of the Lord's Supper.
And I thank you for these things in Jesus' name. Amen.